But I wanted to focus on two different things before we get into 2 Timothy, and we will get there. Uh, I wanted to give us some context uh, about this whole thing. And I have to remind myself of things. I have to remind myself that the Bible is not the only historical account of Christianity. The Bible is not the, the only historical account of the church. The Bible is not the only historical account that's somewhat accurate, at least, about the people and the things they did. And I think it's great for us to remember that when we talk to people about our faith, okay, I can go to the Bible and I can show them a true document that I believe to be truth, and I can teach them about Christ from this document. It's not a bad thing, though, to remind people that Christianity is part of history. It, it's not just the Bible. If you want to find out about Jesus, you can go to the book of Josephus. You can go to other books. You can go to, to more contemporary books written by other people that are three times smarter than anybody in the room mm-hmm. who studied the Greek, the Hebrew, in between, the implications of, the history of, whatever, and, and then they put it together and they share things and the Holy Spirit uses them. The Holy Spirit will never use them to reveal any truth that's contradictory. Amen. Okay? That's not the point. But the point is, it's a fair assessment to think, okay, what was the setting during which Paul wrote this letter? What was the setting during Old Testament times? Sometimes it even helps us with our arguments, to be honest. Uh, I'll mention something a little bit later about the issue of diversity and diversity in the church and the argument that I could get started today if I brought up all the issues involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to all people of all persuasions about anything, good, bad, or evil, okay? But the real key here is that the Bible teaches us that God loves everybody, okay? So when we look at the historical perspective, we need to learn that in history, in Israel, women were worth about half of a man. Don't take it personally, but that's the way it was. When it came to a court case, if the man came in and his testimony was there and he said the light was green when he was at that intersection, it would take two women saying that it was right to even come close to equaling his testimony. All right? Now, the reason I mention that is when we get to the, the, the history of the Bible and the application of New Testament principles, we need to know that Christianity is more inclusive than any other religion that there is already. Because when you get to the New Testament, women are doing a variety of different things. It also means that we need to be very careful when we're fighting the political battles today that we don't alienate people. Because Christ would not have a picket sign that was against all inclusion. His word is inclusive. So even though I might not condone this, this, or this, I have to look at scripture and I have to look at that. Well, I'm going to read just from these two books, the whole book. No, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a few portions just because it gives context to the epistles, the period of the New Testament, and how it related uh, to the world around him. And the first one I'm going to read to is called New Testament History uh, by a gentleman whose name I won't try to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and it's, it's basically meant to be a, a seminary-level study of the historical setting of the New Testament. And all I'm reading from this and sharing from you is some contributing factors to why Christianity grew. All right, so what we know is that Paul went about doing his missionary journeys. Paul wrote the letters. Uh, in addition to that, we had the Old Testament and the New Testament books, the other books that were added. 
and that Christianity spread, and here we are today with Christianity, the largest world religion, the most prolific, the most impactful uh, that existed. But how did that happen? Mm -hmm. From this guy who was running around sharing, and people liked him because he wasn't the only missionary, uh, who you know was constantly you know in trouble with the people and so forth. How did that happen? So the author of this book points out four things. Christianity very early became a missionary faith. Its inclusiveness contrasted as had been seen with Judaism's exclusiveness. Judaism said, we are the chosen people. You are not the chosen people. The best you can even hope for is that you come serve us, live with us, make peace with us, and sort of become Jews, right? Sort of, okay? That's the best it could be for anybody that was around the Jewish people. You and I, as a matter of fact, this morning, uh, Jackie put me on the spot. She said, well, what is this place? What's this place yeah. about? Or who are you, you know? <laughs> and I, my first thing was, well, we are a church of God. We're part of an association. So we're some label that's at least recognizable and involves that, you know. But I, I knew right away, you know, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Uh, first, we have faith in, in Christ our Savior. And because of that, we have the hope the daily hope of him in our lives and the hope of going to heaven, not as a hope that might happen, but a hope that will happen. And because of that, and this is the tough one for some of us, I can love anybody. Anybody. Okay? Anybody with a capital A. I can love anybody. Now, it's not easy, but we should be able to say that. And we should be a people that are faith, hope, and love in that way. But at any rate, Christianity is inclusive. So you're at work, you're talking, and it's later in my, my uh, sentence here, but I'll say it now, is there's a lie out there today. There's a lie out there that's really, really hard, and it's working against us. And the lie is that we are not inclusive. We are exclusive. And the reason they say that is because we say there's one way to get to heaven, okay? And the theory is that if you're inclusive, you would agree that any way can get to heaven that somebody else documents in that. Okay, that's not the inclusivity I was talking about, Okay. But when it comes to the, the other inclusiveness, you know, racial, ethnic, what people believe to start with, in other words, the fact that you can love them before they become a lover of Christ, you know, all those definitions of inclusiveness, we are inclusive. We want people in the door. We want to talk to them. We want them to talk to, to Jesus and Jesus to have a talk with them. But, so we are an inclusive faith. Uh, the relationship to Judaism uh, gave some initial aid. Christians could come under the umbrella of legal protection given by the Romans to the Jews. And it's ironic because what we focus on is that Paul was eventually taken out of the synagogue and beaten. All right? But the fact that he could even go into an established religious organization in the Roman Empire, okay, and it was affirmed. I mean, it was supposed to be there. It was allowed to be there legally by the government. It was only until he began to preach against the belief of Old Testament only that he got the, the ire of the Jews and then became the criminal. So the key is, in the meanwhile, Christianity is kind of spreading out within the Jewish community. And, of course, that's, part, that's uh, Paul's model, and we'll see it later. But his model was he would show up in town, he would pick one of the biggest town centers in the Roman Empire so that he could have a good seat and... And uh, I'll pause now and interrupt myself with an interruption, okay? Uh, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about missionary journeys, Paul, church, it's God, okay? He's not God, but it's God working through Paul. So when we say something like Paul was responsible for the spread of, we know that's not what we're saying. 
We know we're saying God used Paul as the tool to make it happen. But the point is, Paul would go into the town, he would go to the Jewish synagogue, he was known as a Jew, he was a Jew, he looked like a Jew, he sounded like a Jew, which in this case is not me slurring anything, this is like good stuff because it was his advantage. And then, curiously, he would not be saying the right thing. Okay? And I don't want to waste a lot of words, but are we ready for that, by the way? Just think, of, think about it for a minute, okay? Uh, David did something today that I love. It was very dangerous, okay? Uh, because David basically said, hey, anybody want to share uh, uh, anything today? Go ahead and share, okay? Uh, Nick, anything you have to share today, okay? Uh, we need to be ready someday, just thinking through this, of when a person steps up and says, whatever, okay? It could have been cookie. It, it could have been anything. It could be another religious thing. Now, love, responsibility, you could worry about that some other time. But the point is, I'm not going to solve that today. That's for Dwayne and Steve and, you know, and everybody else to solve. But he used the Jewish system to kind of get in, and that's how the spread occurred many times. It was the Jews that were already sensitive to Old Testament teachings, and the Old Testament teachings were a great beginning point for talking to somebody about the gospel. And so that's why the Jewish community was where it spread uh, in, in a lot. And then the failure of the Roman religion and philosophy and the mystery religions to satisfy the intellectual, moral, and spiritual needs. There is no other religion that works like Christianity. So it's pretty plain to see after a while. You're worshiping idols, you're worshiping idols. We need a new idol. The idol fell down. The idols decay. We need to build a new idol. We need to polish the idol. And even the nature of things tells you that the system that the world sets up isn't going to work. And finally, the author of this book says, finally... No human logical analysis can fully explain the victory of this crucified Nazarene over the Roman world. In the final analysis, one looks to the providential power of God as the ultimate reason for Christianity's rise from a fragile seedling to a mighty tree. The power of God manifested in the resurrection event created the resurrection faith that eventually would win the hearts and minds of vast multitudes. I just wanted to set the context for the fact that the Bible teaches us Paul is what we're focusing on today, but it's in the context of the spread of Christianity, which God orchestrated in such a, a, a fantastic way, using his Old Testament basis, and then building on it and going farther. So I think I've shared everything I wanted to from that particular thing. Um, but yeah, I mentioned the lie, and we just need to be careful, because the people that you meet on the street who might be antagonistic towards Christians, they don't really know Christianity. They don't really know the inclusiveness in the sense of God loving all people, okay? That doesn't mean anybody gets to go to heaven. So we, we need to clarify that carefully for them uh, as we move into things. One more uh, introductory matter I'm going to do, and that's a book called uh, Apostle Extraordinary, and it's just a book about the life of Paul, and it's a fascinating book, uh, but I'm going to read just a, a few excerpts from that, too, before we get to Timothy, uh, and I'll summarize where I can, but well, let me summarize. The one thing about Paul was he's like the model for conversion, and we know that. We know his conversion itself was wild and crazy. But how do you go from being the persecutor, the killer of, the one who's anti-Christian, to the one who stands out in history as like one of the prominent people in the faith? I mean, that's like, the reason we lift him up a little bit, not above each other, but looking at him and studying some of his things, 
is because God did that by having him author and, and demonstrate and work through all these missionary uh, efforts that he did. But the key is, his great task was to found churches in all the strategic centers of the Roman Empire. I forget that sometimes, okay? I read the scripture and it says Antioch. I don't remember what Antioch is. I don't know where Antioch is. But any of the, any of the cities where Paul went to was like on our map, you know how we have the map of the United States, we have the map of the states, and you got the capital, okay? But if I, if I look at the map, I'm looking in terms of where I would find my grant programs. Well, they're going to be the population centers. They're going to be the where it's happening places because that's where a lot of need is. But the key is Paul went to the places at God's direction that would have the ultimate impact. I mean, he would start a little fire in the big city and it would just sweep across the city. And I should mention that as an illustration. It's terrible what happened in Maui. And fires nowadays are horrible. So I wasn't thinking of that. I, take, I want to just temper that by saying we should be really in prayer for all the people that are suffering now there uh, and, and do what we can to provide aid. But the point is that he, he strategically was placed in certain places. Um, the other thing is, um, history's assessment of Paul is that he was a crucial, creative, and compelling personality. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'd be friends with Paul or not. What do you think? I mean, if you think about Paul, in other words, uh, I'm not sure he was a good listener. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he was. <laughs> we don't know that. But what we know is he was, he was comforting, but he was confrontive. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he would tell me I had cheese in my beard, but he would also tell me if I should change my life. See what I mean? Uh, and, and so the thing is that that he was very impactful, not only in comforting people, um, but also in uh, confronting them. Uh, he was an inspiration to countless generations of Christian disciples. No man is indispensable in the kingdom of God. But in that little phrase there, the author says, "But Paul is one man in history." who we might consider an exception. Not really, only because he was God's tool. But the thing is, that's why we study him and that's why we look at him. The other thing I'll just mention is the Galatians 2.20. We're not going to go there, but I'm going to read it from this version here. And when it comes to Paul summarizing his life, I thought that was interesting and we should just focus on it a second. I have been crucified with Christ it is, uh, it, uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a hard time not thinking that Paul was bragging during Second Timothy. All right? But he wasn't. He was on his deathbed, literally. He was writing his, what could be the last letter. He was appealing, you know, to, to Second Timothy, uh, to Timothy, who was... It's sort of like his child, but not really in terms of in the faith. And he was saying to him, hey, you know, come because. And I guess at that point in life, he's summarizing his life saying, hey, I'm just saying out loud what my goal was. I'm not necessarily saying, and I, I don't know what he was trying to say really, but I doubt that he was saying, every thought I had was God approved. Every thought I had, see, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, once again, I'm committing myself in front of you and I'm saying, hey, it's Christ, and that's the way we should be. Those last couple of phrases there of the following Christ involves risk and tension and persecution and sacrifice are sometimes uh, reminders to me that I just I need to, to be more forthright sometimes with people around me 
sometimes I'm not as open as I should be about what this is that I believe, and I think we do need to take more opportunities because we that's what it is. It, it, it says that to us. Uh, faith, uh, yeah, faith, uh, faithfulness to Jesus will come at a cost was one phrase that I pulled out of there. Following Jesus involves risk and tension. And then uh, the other thing that we'll learn here in 2 Timothy that was mentioned there is that the goal is to raise up faithful leaders who will teach uh, truth. So <clears throat> uh, let's go ahead and get into 1 Timothy. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it. And I'm um, going to do it quickly, but mention some things as we go. And uh, if there's something that the Lord puts on your heart at the time, you want to raise your hand, get my attention. Uh, we can hear you share that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, a grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, a reminder to us that we should be constantly praying. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And don't forget that his mother, his grandmother influenced him, but you influence anybody around you. You might not have grandchildren, but you have children living in your world. You have younger people than you living in your world. And each of us has those people that we can influence, and we could someday be on the list of people that have influenced them for Christ. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. What we know here is that Paul was concerned that Timothy was young, and Timothy might falter. Timothy might not have enough you know, uh, intensity about him to, to live through uh, people looking down on him and not listening to him. And so Paul is trying to encourage him, listen, you've got everything you need. Just let the Holy Spirit just build it, just like you would fan a fire if you've ever had the campfire that's going out. You can put more fuel on, but sometimes you have to intensify that heat by fanning that flame to get it to come to life again. Um, the fan into flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Another verse that I really like because I really like to think of the fact that even though we're meek, even though we're loving, even though we're accepting in terms of listening and caring, uh, what we have is not a spirit of being afraid of truth. It's a spirit of, of power that comes from truth. But self-control annoys me there at the end, okay? Because I'm supposed to have self-control in all that I do. Uh, and, you know, candy cakes, you know, might be on that list uh, of a problem there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now had been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. I like to tell myself that he's only suffering because his spiritual gifts were preaching, apostle, and teacher. And there's a little part of that that might be true. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, they weren't persecuting, uh, like they didn't take out and stone anybody that just became a Christian at that day. Now they do now in certain cultures. Uh, but he was the one that was the leader, and therefore he drew the attention, and therefore he had more of the hatred pointed at him. 
And, uh, but the bottom line is we should all expect that our calling to love and share Christ would come at a cost, as we said. Uh, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know that I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard against that day which has been entrusted to me. A great old hymn uh, includes that phrase. Mm-hmm. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted in you. Uh, we have to be so careful that we're not swayed, distracted, uh, taken aside by somebody with a different doctrinal uh, point of view. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom several there. Uh, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And I have that verse highlighted because uh, he went looking for the man that was in jail, that had been dishonored, that was you know, now labeled a criminal uh, and, and he, he, he didn't care. He didn't care if he would have some stigma attached to him because of it. So chapter 2, you then, my children, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I've shared that already. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted me. I'm a little uncomfortable about the song, I'm in the Lord's Army, the one we teach the kids. We used to teach the kids in the old day. Have you ever heard that song? Mm-hmm. I'm in the Lord's Army. The only reason I'm a little bit wary of it is, even though soldiers used as a gruelous illustration, in the scripture that we will, we're hearing today, it uses it not so much of going out and fighting the battle, but that's part of it. And that's the armor of God and all that. But we have to be careful because literal armies have fought wars for the faith and people have died. And even though we need to defend it with our life, God is not calling us today to conquer people physically who don't believe what he believes. That's not what he's calling us to. So we need to teach and preach and talk about the soldier reference here carefully, is what I'm saying. To make sure they understand we obey our leader and our master. We are willing to battle a spiritual battle for him. But be careful that we're not put in the jihadist list. Okay? Because you just have to be a little careful. He uses the illustration of an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, and I highlighted that phrase. Uh, he's in prison. He can no longer go to synagogues, start fights, witness about Christ, not start fights, but you know, eventually it did. He can't do that anymore. But by that time, the word of God is being spread. It's already being spread. You know, uh, it was a reminder to me that, you know, I always think of missionaries taking the New Testament out to tell people, right? Missionaries here didn't have the New Testament yet. It hadn't been written yet. So they were taking the truth of the gospel that they had learned, some having witnessed, some not. But they weren't taking, you know, hear these scriptures, study them. No, they were saying, okay, let's find, find the illustrations of Christ in the Old Testament that affirm our truth. So they were, they were teaching from the Old Testament most of the time. Uh, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and they also may obtain, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And in that case, it was news to the Jews that the elect could include Gentiles. Okay, that was a totally radical concept. 
This, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But the part I, I focused on is if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I am a child of God. For him to deny me now is to deny himself. I can be a complete idiot, and I am. I, and we do things that we shouldn't do that, that aren't the best, that whatever. But it, it's he who looks at me as forgiven through him, and, and that's why he's always faithful to me. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I don't want you to think about shame. I don't want you to think about the last time you were ashamed, but because I said that, you might start to. But the point is, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? To have done something wrong, intentionally wrong maybe, and then have to fess up to it and apologize for it and make that right. It's just a terrible feeling. You know, uh, shame is a horrible, horrible enemy as we go through our life, when we, when we feel shame instead of feeling forgiven and reconciling the issues. Uh, but it's something we have to really, really be careful about. Uh, but avoid irre irrelevant babble, <clears throat> for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It's great for a bunch of freshmen at seminary to argue about <coughs> anything, okay? Because they're testing, they're trying, they're looking at the faith, they're learning Hebrew, they're learning Greek, they're doing this. They can argue about anything. But don't go out on the street corner and start to argue with strangers about whether the rapture is going to occur pre-trib or post-trib, okay? It doesn't matter at that point at all, okay? Now, irreverent babble here probably is not referring to that, but that's my example of things that we do sometimes. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are these two individuals who have, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing the seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We are called to try to live sinful lives. We can't, but we're called to try. Now in, the, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. You've got a spittoon, you've got a chamber pot, You've got things you eat your food out of, okay? Uh, it's just the way it is, okay? Different vessels for different purposes. They're all honorable because you wouldn't want not to have a chamber pot. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. I didn't get that. I, but set apart as holy, useful to the master so we kind of cleanse ourselves from this honorable so that we can be honorable vessels. So flee youthful passions and pursue rightful, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. Just write that down and think about it there. Okay? Uh, patiently enduring evil. Looking at the news and what's going on. Patiently enduring evil. Blood pressure's not up. I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm not arguing about it. I'm patiently enduring it. No, I'm not. I struggle with it. But we need to be. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them, that God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, 
and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Mm-hmm. Chapter 3. <clears throat> but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. That's interesting. Avoid them. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, and I've got to say, men, we're just as weak. Uh, Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as these two individuals opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, and was that of those two men. All scripture says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. He's not bragging. He's telling Timothy what to do, using himself as the example of what he tried to do. At Lyconium and Lystra, which which persecutions I endured, yet from then all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how your childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely complete, equipped for every good work. And I didn't highlight that because everybody highlights it in our mind. So last chapter, chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, not us, but him. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. Second Timothy is Paul's last words written, okay? Those are my dad's last words. I think I shared that with you before, okay? My dad was a pastor. He was commissioning a young pastor. His name was Harley Haggerty. And my dad came up to give what they call the charge to the candidate, which was kind of a semi-prayer, semi-verbiage. you know, verbiage. And he quoted this verse, and he said, you know, basically, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, be ready, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Different version. He was King James. And he sat down and he went to heaven. Blow me away. Okay? I should have warned you. It would be a great way to go, God. (laughs) I just read it. Okay. All right. We won't go there. Uh, But for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. I've got to interject. Itching ears. You know, we usually think of people having itching ears wanting to hear things. I don't think we get it right. I think sometimes we think that we, they, they want to hear just um, stories. They, they want to hear just, you know, distractions. They want to hear the good gospel. They want to hear the wealth gospel. They want to hear the whatever. Sometimes it's not that at all. Sometimes I think people really get into doctrine. And they want to talk deep doctrine. But they don't want to live life. They don't want to live Christ in their life. So, you know, people having itching ears doesn't necessarily have to be for evil, bad, or untrue things. It can be for good things. They just want to come into this room and hear God's word, okay? 
their, their ears itch for some God's work, but then they go out and they don't live it. So there's just, you have to be careful about defining that. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachings, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We don't always think of ourselves as having the gift of evangelism, but if we're living out Christ's love and we're engaging people, we will have occasion to share how to get saved with people. If you never have an occasion to mention Jesus to anybody, rethink a little bit some of your conversations, some of your opportunities, some of the people you're engaging with. Because we all should be sharing Christ some, even though we're not the one okay, that has given the gifts that many others are. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I have no higher goal in life to be able to try to say something like that. Wouldn't it be great? You know? And so I think it's, it should be all of our goal. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love, and Nick read part of this last week, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Some of these partings are bad, some of them are good, but the point is he's alone. Uh, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me to ministry. And we shared how important that is in this passage and for us, dealing with people in our lives that have hurt us or we've hurt. Uh, Titus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left at Carpus, and that was in our, our illustration here of why. Uh, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. We need to remember sometimes that the enemies of truth and the enemies of the gospel are not just people, okay? You have the Holy Spirit living in you as a follower of Christ. He is indeed impacting you. He is causing you to do things you have no control over, good things, thoughts that are good, bringing back scripture, whatever it is, okay? Satan is active and alive. It's not a popular concept in the world. That demons are real. It's not a popular concept. We sometimes don't talk a lot about that. We don't talk about demon possession being current today, but it is, okay? I personally believe that a, a follower of Christ cannot be possessed. I believe that. We could talk about it. That a follower of Christ can be oppressed, but not, not possessed. But people around us walking the street that don't have faith in Christ can be possessed, they can have a bent towards evil. They can have a bent towards hurting the faith. They can have a bent towards jihad or whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's, and it's real, okay? So we just need to be careful that, that we understand that that's out there. Um, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, which he's not talking about Daniel here, but he's talking about death. You know, many times he was facing death. And we just need to remember, when no one else is there, <clears throat> God is there, okay? Now, you have a bunch of people in your life, there's a bunch of people in this room that would step by you for anything you had a need of. A conversation about, can't solve all your needs, especially when it comes to fiscal things and stuff, there are complicated family things that are complicated, but we can care, we can pray, we can provide some things sometimes. The point is, there are people that are here, but we're not always going to be there. 
And some of you have, have somebody else in life. It might be a close friend, might be a, a partner, it might be, and, but sometimes they're hurting and they can't be there for you. That's the way it is. But God is always there and the Lord strengthened Paul in this time of need. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then greet those, and I want to go right to the last phrase. It says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And that's just how I want to end today. In the midst of all these things, as we struggle to be Christ-like, we look at Paul, we think, I'm not him. That's true. But we have the power that Paul had. It's available to us. We will never be a Paul necessarily. But we can have the strength of Paul. We can have the calling of Paul. We can have the product of Paul. We will never know the impact we had on other people. But we need to say, the Lord, the Lord is going to be with us. He's going to soothe my spirit. He's going to give me power. And I like grace. No, I don't like grace. I mean, what I mean is, I don't like to think that I need to be graceful. I think of graceful as ballet okay, or something. So my, my word of grace in my mind is confusing to me. But, but grace is... Grace is not having to correct. Grace is not having to make the issue today so I can talk to them about Christ tomorrow. Grace, grace is sometimes seeming like I don't care enough to witness about Christ at a certain time and place because it's not the time, it's not the moment. You know, there was a statistic once uh, that I don't know it's true today or not, but it took seven interactions with a person generally before they actually made a decision to trust Christ. Amen. Seven people had to touch them. This is an old statistic now. And, and maybe these first four didn't share Christ at all. They were just people that they were kind. Then they found out this one was kind, but they were a follower of Christ. In other words, but the point is you might be number one, two, three, four, five, six. Number seven gets the glory sometimes in our mind. But if you're number one through seven on any number, it's important. But it's God's grace that's going to get us there.